0: Good morning, church. Good morning. We came in today without any fear of persecution, without any fear of, of by the government or radical groups, but we're reminded this morning that not everyone, not every Christian shares that experience. As we saw in what's happening in the Middle East, and we've heard the horror stories of how they've been beheaded and how they've been killed, and women have been enslaved and sold as, as sex objects uh, It would be unconsciousable for we as the bridge, God's bridge to all people, not to have a part, some part, some at least little part in reaching out with help to these wonderful, faithful believers who at the cost of their life, at the threat of the lives of their wives and children, they're willing to stand true for the cross. On the patio after the service today, on the west side, we have some shirts, some wristbands that are going to be on sale. And all, all the proceeds of those sales to remember these people and to pray for them every day go towards Voice of the Martyr, an organization that is reaching out to these people, and especially in the Middle East, and helping them to have food, and helping them to have medicine, and helping them to find safe haven. And so I'm going to encourage you to go out after the service and to, to go to the booth and to do our part to help these folks have some hope in their life and feel the bridge of other Christians in support of them. Likewise, we have our Ecuador team out there for some women <clears throat> from Ecuador who were taken out of human trafficking, and, and, and now they're, they're making little crafts that are out on the patio, and, and those crafts and the money from those crafts are going to go to training them, giving them a trade so they can get off the street out of prostitution. Again, we're the bridge to all God's people everywhere. And I think it's fitting right now as we, at this point in our service, that we bow our heads together and we just ask God's blessing and his protection of those folks. Father, we thank you for the freedom that we have today. God, help us not to take it for granted. Help us to always remember that when we come to the church, when we come to a Bible study or to a support group or to whatever it is, when we come to these groups, We have no fear of any reprisals being taken against us. But we know that we have brothers and sisters around the world who don't share that freedom and who have to serve you at the risk of their life. God, today, we as the bridge, we pray for them. And we pray that you might give them courage and that you might give them the provisions they need and that you might bless them in ways they can't imagine. We pray that you might spread your blanket of protection over them and their families. We pray that as they boldly be a light in that dark land, that you will bless their efforts. And Lord, that you will reward them with them seeing others come to faith in Jesus Christ. Others cross the bridge from eternal death to eternal life. We pray for your blessing on them. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's support them. Let's be out there and do our little part. Now, before I get into the message this morning, I want to thank you. Last week, we had a tremendous response to our call for new volunteer ministry parties. We had 87 people go back to the Next Step booth and volunteer to serve in different ministries. Now, if you're one of, yeah, let's let's celebrate that. That's amazing. Now, let me say, if you're one of those who went back there and you didn't receive any communication from us, Then there's a problem because we reached out to everyone. Could be that maybe there were a couple cards where it was a little difficult. Maybe your writing's like my writing and it's hard to read. Maybe we're a little bit illegible. Or maybe it went into your spam folder, your junk folder. So if you didn't receive a, a response, then please go to the Next Steps booth and we'll take care of that today. I also missed one ministry, important ministry, and I got called on the carpet about it. And that is our chair ministry. You know, you come in and you're able to sit in these seats and that. Well, these aren't here the rest of the week. They're all put away so that the school can use it for a gymnasium and everything. We need some volunteers that will just come out, possibly one time a month, at 8 o'clock on Saturday morning for about an hour's time and help set up these chairs so that we're ready for services. So if you'd be willing to do that, or if you miss going to the Next Step booth, uh, go there after the service today And you'll be richly rewarded. Thank you all who responded. And those who didn't get a chance, please use today as that opportunity. Or any Sunday. That next step booth will be there every Sunday. So if you feel led in one of the services, God is moving in your heart, you go out there. And we'll help you at the next step booth. Take your next step in your service to the Lord. Now today, I'm going to start a brand new series. Entitled Life After Life, What's Next, If Anything. Is there anything after this life? Now, I'm going to tell you that I'm going to really move quickly today because of time. And so, therefore, what I would rather you do is to kind of just pay attention and follow along with what we're talking about today. I have prepared, as I often do, a full note page of everything I'm going to talk about today. And after the service, you can get it at the resource table. You can just go back there, and I've already taken notes for you. And They'll be even more complete than you'd possibly be able to do. So if this is something that interests you and you would like the notes, they'll be there at the resource table after the service. Also, as in with many of the series on the beginning Sunday of the series, this is going to kind of be a a series to set up the series. This is going to be a message to kind of get us in the right frame of mind and get us in the right frame of thinking. Today we want to take on this question, is there really life after life? Is there really something beyond this, or is this it? You know, there are many people in the scientific field, the medical field, in all kinds of different fields, and even in different religions that have not yet come to grasp with the answer to this question. You might be amazed to know that the root of Christianity, Judaism, has never settled this issue. Did you know that? They really have never come to a place where they understand or believe whether there is life after this life or not. In fact, I saw in my jewishlearning.com, said Judaism is famously ambiguous about this matter. The immorality of the soul, the world to come, and the resurrection of the dead all feature prominently in Jewish tradition, but the logistics of what these things are and how they relate to each other has always been ambiguous, They've not figured it out. They're not really there. Some think that that this is life and whatever blessings we're gonna get from God for service to him, we're gonna get in this life and when we die, that's it, we're gone. Others think they're different things. The confusion is understandable when you consider that in the entire Old Testament, that represents two-thirds of the Bible that you have, the Jewish writings, the Jewish prophets. There's only two verses that refer to a possible resurrection of the dead. Isaiah 26, 19 is one, but your dead will live, their bodies will rise. You who dwelt in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. Daniel 12:2 is another one. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those are really the only two. There's other verses that kind of refer to Sheol, and we'll look more at those in the series. It's caused a lot of confusion, and they've not really settled down. In fact, that article goes on to say, though some Jewish scholars have tried to clarify these ideas, it would be impossible to reconcile all the Jewish texts and sources that discuss the afterlife. So this is not just an ambiguous idea, an ambiguous concept to the medical and scientists and all that. It is even to some religions, even the foundational religion of our religion— where Christianity was birthed out of. Many historic giants have denied an afterlife. Carl Sagan, astronomer and and astrophysicist, one of the, 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 the great initiatives of our space exploration. He said, I would love to believe that when I die, I live again, but... That that some thinking, feeling, remembering part of me will continue, but as much as I want to believe that, and despite the ancient and worldwide cultural traditions that assert an afterlife, I know of nothing to suggest that it is more than wishful thinking." Bertrand Russell, another great philosopher, a great historian, mathematician, said, I believe that when I die, I shall rot, and nothing of my ego will survive. I am not young, and I love life, but I should scorn to shiver with terror at the thought of annihilation. There's nothing after this. It's just going to be done. Einstein, all of us know him. He wrote his own obituary, and in his obituary, he said this, I cannot imagine a God who rewards and punishes the objects of his creation, whose purposes are modeled after our own, a God, in short, who is but a reflection of human frailty. Neither can I believe that the individual survives the death of his body, although feeble souls harbor such thoughts through fear or ridiculous egotism. Einstein's... There can't be. And those who harbor those thoughts, those who believe in that are feeble-minded. They just don't understand. Well, is he right? Are they right? Or is there really life after death? This whole question and debate about life after death was catapulted back into the spotlight in 1975 with a book release entitled Life After Life that I Entitled this series after by Dr. Raymond Moody. And it was an investigation of a phenomena, survival of the bodily death. In this book, Dr. Moody chronologues his interviews with a lot of people who at some point in their time, whether on a surgical table or because of an accident, were clinically dead. In other words, their heart had stopped. But later were able to be resuscitated back to life. And he shared their stories of what happened during that time that they were clinically dead and needed to be resuscitated. In his book, he originally coins a phrase that is very familiar today, and that is a phrase of near-death experiences. How many have heard that phrase? Near-death experiences. Since that book, that whole concept has just blossomed in culture. In fact, book after book has been written about, as others have investigated this phenomena. Movies have been made about it. Matter of fact, there's been a lot of movies just released. One is in the theaters right now, The uh, Miracles from Heaven, of these stories where people have died and yet been resuscitated, have come back to life, and their accounts of what happened during that time of limbo between life and death. Now... I announced to you last week that some of the most recent polls, Gallup polls and Barna polls and, and uh, Pew Foundation polls, have revealed that in our culture in America, people are increasingly losing interest in religion, in church, in God. However, there is a growing passion, those polls have shown, to answer the question, is there life after life? Now, one of the reasons I'm sharing this series with you is to encourage you in your faith, of course, but it's also to equip you to be able to speak intelligently about this matter because everyone's talking about it. They're producing movie after movie about it. You will have opportunities to share your faith As people talk, about, you can even initiate the conversation and say, hey, what do you think about life after life? So there's going to be great opportunity to use what I'm going to teach you in a practical way to be a bridge to someone who is seeking an answer to the question, is there life after life? Dr. Moody, in his interviews of all these people, found some trends that came up. And those included out-of-body experience, encountering a mystical light, entering an unimaginable world, altered sense of time and space, a life review, intense feelings of love and peace. Now, not every person has every one of them, but the response is so many people, after thousands and thousands of interviews, have shared many of these same things that he began to, to put them together, and that was the foundation of his book in 1975, the original copy, which is represented there. Uh, let me just give you an example of, of what the book, this out-of-body experience. A man who had nearly died from complications following surgery said, suddenly my consciousness rose above my bed in ICU. I remember having told myself that I had, uh, that I had not had an out-of-body experience, so this could not be happening. As I rose, I told myself, well, here it is. It couldn't happen, but it's happening to me. A physician named Thaddeus said, lying on my back awake, suddenly I am looking down at myself from the ceiling. My position is reversed. That is, my head is in the opposite to my feet on the bed. I see myself very clearly. I have normal vision. This was a case that captured my attention by Kimberly Clark Sharp, who is Sharp, a, a medical professional, in interviewing someone. And she reported a case study in which a woman named Maria was rushed to the hospital with a severe heart attack. After successful resuscitation, Maria told Sharp about her near-death experience, including detailed, out-of-body observations of her resuscitation. And this is another thing that is repeated over and over and over again. People who have had this experience are able to, to come back and say, and the doctors did this, and the doctors did that, and the doctors did this, and he said that, and she said that, and this was the action. All things that they could not have possibly known or seen. But it says, in this case, she went one step beyond Her consciousness passed outside the hospital, she said, where she observed a tennis shoe on the third-story window ledge of the hospital. Now, Sharp, wanting to verify this, later went to that hospital and looked at every window ledge on the third story of that hospital, and you know what? Ultimately found that exact shoe in the exact description that Marie gave in the exact position that she had given. So... Are these NDAs, NDE's, a window into life after life? Is that a window? Is it a snapshot of what's to come? Well, I got to tell you, skeptics abound on this. And you may have even already had a chance to discuss this with folks. And again, they're skeptical. Nah, that could be, there's no life after this. When you're gone, you're gone, you're gone. Now, some of the the most ardent skeptics of this are found in the scientific, in the medical realms, in those communities. Dr. Eben Alexander, who himself, and we'll look at more today, had a near-death experience, said this. When a person who is potentially open to hearing about an NDA asks a doctor or scientist, in our society they are the official gatekeepers on the matter of what is real and what is not, they are all too often told gently but firmly that NDEs are fantasies, products of a brain struggling to hold on to life and nothing more of that. That's what they are. It's just a it's just brain trying to hold on to life. And there's all kinds of different uh, reasons and, and, and explanations, hallucinations, the results of anesthetic and, and a robot reboot where kind of like you reboot a computer when it crashes that when these people died, their, their, their mind... It started trying to reboot and all that. All these things. They say, now all that stuff, it's just fantasy. There's nothing that supports the idea that these NDEs are any window into the life yet to come. Kevin, the Atlantic Magazine, did an article where they were interviewing different atheists and what their ideas about a life after life would be. And this one man, Kevin, says this. I have always felt that when I die, I'm dead and gone, my conscious life will end, and my interactions with others will end, and I will be simply gone, emphasis his. I don't know what causes consciousness, but I expect that it will end. My afterlife will be in the memories of those I knew, those who love me, those who carry me on in their hearts. I myself. Will cease to exist. Now, in his article, in his response to the article, Kevin stumbles on something that is really critical to this whole debate as to whether there's life after life, at least in the medical and the scientific realm. The mystery of consciousness. Why do you have consciousness? Why are you able to to be sitting there, hearing me speak, and be able to process what I'm saying? How am I able to communicate to you? How were you able to get in a car and drive here today? How did you wake up and take care of yourself and fix your breakfast? What is consciousness? Where does that come from? How and why consciousness exists may be one of the greatest mysteries of science. Now, how many, where's our medical folks here today? You're in the medical profession. Your doctors and nurses. And, okay, now, now I'm going to enter your community right now. I'm going to get into your world a little bit today. And the reason I'm going to do it for the rest of us who aren't is because you are going to be challenged as you have this conversation about life without life. And one of the key challenges is going to come from science and from the medical community. It's a mystery. Dr. Gary Schwartz, who's a professor at the University of Arizona, said this, Conventional and contemporary neuroscientists, as a general rule, all believe, in fact, they assume that the brain creates consciousness, that consciousness is a byproduct or side effect of brain function. So so the thing is that the brain is what creates, what produces consciousness. He goes on to say, so the assumption is whatever we think or do not only involves our brain, but requires our brain. And therefore, when our brain ceases to function, example, when when it dies, our consciousness dies too because it's dependent entirely on the brain. Because what? The brain is the creator of consciousness. This is called the materialist perspective. That the brain is the creator of our human consciousness. He goes on to say, There are hundreds and hundreds of studies in cognitive neuroscience, emotional science, all of which presume to prove that the mind and emotion are caused by the brain. However, all of those studies use three basic kinds of procedures. Those procedures are correlation, stimulation, and ablation. In other words, he says there's all kinds of reasons why scientists, these NDEs, are not a window into the life after this life. They're, they can be medically explained. They can be scientifically explained. And all of the tests that they have conducted, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them to prove that, all use Three elements, either correlation, stimulation, or ablation. Now, what is that? Correlation is putting electrodes on the cortex of the brain and then shining the light. And that'll show different parts of the brain will light up. Typically, I guess with a reduction in what's called the alpha frequency. You medical people understand that more than I. Stimulation is if a brain is being operated on. They can take electrodes and they can stimulate different parts of the body. They've said, in fact, that they could stimulate these NDEs through the use of electrodes. Finally, there's ablation. An ablation they would never do on purpose, but in the case of, uh, of a traumatic uh, head injury where the brain is exposed, or in the case of uh, having to remove tumors or something, that's cutting out, surgically removing something, then they can do that and observe how that impacts the brain or what impact that might have on the brain subsequently. So Dr. Schwartz says, so those three factions, correlation, stimulation, ablation, triangulate, they all point to the idea that the brain is creating consciousness. Now he says, this isn't necessarily so. And he goes back to his early college days when he's studying electrical engineering. And he relates this process to a TV repairman. He says a TV repairman uses the same three criteria in diagnosing what's wrong with a television set. Correlation. He can set up a oscilloscope on it. And he can, he can test different things and he can see how the picture and, and how the signal is, is, is operating. He can use stimulation. He can stimulate certain diodes and he can stimulate certain circuits and, and that to see how that impacts the, the picture on, on the television. He can use ablation. He can go in and remove, he can cut out something and see how that impacts it. And then he can repair that element, put in a new transistor or whatever it is, and see how that goes. And so he says, so it's the same general process that many in the medical community are saying that the brain creates, because in all the tests of correlation, stimulation, and ablation, it shows that the brain is the creator of our consciousness. Now, with this, though, none of us would suggest that the TV is creating the signal. It's not the TV itself that creates the shows we watch. We all know that the television is an antenna receiver that receives a signal from an outside source, right? So he says the claim that staunch materialists would like to make is that many of what we call NDEs can be explained as residual firing of either the cortex or the subcortical structures that it's been damaged or After the heart has stopped. So he says basically all this stuff, this window into life after life is nothing more than the brain. That's what they're trying to to, to restart itself, trying to get going again. So he says, though, the problem with that, I call it wishful thinking. If you look at both human and animal research, it's well documented that literally all electrical activity ceases within 40 seconds to a minute of the time blood flow has stopped going to the brain. There is no evidence of electrical firing of the brain at all. In other words, when somebody is clinically dead, and the heart, they're flatlined, and the heart's not pumping blood anymore, the brain is not functioning anymore. So the materialistic perspective, again, That we're going to run up to as we talk about life after life and possibly using some of these near-death experiences is going to be that the brain creates our consciousness. Now, there is another perspective, a growing perspective, called the post-materialist perspective. Now, hang with me. This all has a purpose, okay? It says that our brain, like a television set, is an antenna receiver that receives our consciousness from some external force. You get that? From some external, what external force could possibly produce human consciousness? They say that it's not the brain that creates it. It is some external force that provides us our consciousness. Now, this particular theory got a huge boost by Dr. Eben Alexander, who wrote the book Proof of Heaven. Dr. Alexander, an accomplished neurosurgeon. And let me just show you his credentials. He was University of North Carolina, Duke Medical School, An accomplished neurosurgeon, residency at Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard, fellowships in Newcastle upon Tyne, United Kingdom, 15 years as a teaching professor at Harvard University, has written over 150 papers that have been in different medical journals, and he has been called to hundreds of conferences to present his findings over the years. And he himself, a staunch materialist, believing, along with his colleagues in science and medicine, that the brain creates consciousness. That is, until the fall of 2008, when he quite suddenly and unexpectedly developed acute back pain that ultimately traveled to his head, and he had acute headaches that ultimately put him into grand mal seizures. And so there he is, this neuroscience, and he's in seizure, and he's shaken and they call the, the, the paramedics, the emergency, and they rush him to the hospital. He's still seizing. They have to strap him down on the table, and they begin to try to diagnose. They recognize who he is. And they say, hey, this is, this is Eben. This is Abin Alexander here. And all these people, they're rushing in to try to take care of him. And they're, they're, they're trying to find out what's wrong with him. Now, it's a long story, and I don't have time to share the whole story. Get the book if you really want to enjoy it. But here's what I'll share with you. Here's the result. They discovered that he had developed a case of E. coli bacterial meningitis, which, by the way, is absolutely almost unheard of in adults except in cases of an autoimmune deficiency disease like AIDS or having had surgery where a stunt was put in or or something like that which exposed the brain to outside sources of contamination but never in a healthy guy, and he was absolutely healthy. He had none of those. They could not understand what happened to him. In fact, his case was so rare that they classified it in the medical community as N of 1, from which I understood from reading in my research is that it's the very first case diagnosed in all medical history. The odds, astronomically, against this man just... All of a sudden, spontaneously developing E. coli bacterial meningitis, which is very serious. There's viral meningitis, which is serious, but can be treated. Bacterial meningitis is much, much, much more serious. Long story short, they tried to then flood him with antibiotics. And he slipped into a coma for the next seven days. In fact, they had to put him on life support. He ultimately returns on his own. As matter of fact, his wife is in with the doctors and they're talking about, about pulling the plug and all that kind of thing. And all of a sudden, one of his sisters is in there, comes running out. He's awake, he's awake. And not only does he come back, but as we'll see in a minute, he has an amazing story to tell. How during this time, and he doesn't know exactly when time, he was transported to a different world. And while there, He was exposed to a light. It was a speck of light that grew and grew and grew. And pretty soon it engulfed him in his world. He was met by what he called a guide who took him and he was entered into this land, he said, that was amazingly beautiful. And it was a land like he had never seen and he heard and saw things like he had never imagined in his life. And he went through this whole process even where he met what he called Om because he wasn't a believer at the time, but he knew as God. Now, all that, according to him later coming back and going over all the different reasons that that the medical community give for these NDEs and science, nothing made sense. He says, in cases of bacterial meningitis, the bacteria attack the outer layer of the brain or cortex. He describes that as like an orange. The peel would be the cortex of the brain. And he said, the cortex is responsible for memory, language, emotion, visual and auditory awareness and logic. So when an organism like E. coli attacks the brain, the initial damage is to the areas that perform the functions most critical to maintaining our human qualities. Many victims of bacterial meningitis die in the first several days of their illness. He says, of those who arrive in the state that he arrived in the hospital, there's only a 10% chance of surviving it. He says, but that's a limited survival because in most cases, a person who survives will never be the same again, and they will live in a vegetative state. In fact, through that process, as they continued to try to treat him, and he was not responding to the antibiotics they were using, the doctors ultimately said that it was 97% certain that he would die, and if he hit that 3% and came back, that he would be constant, would need constant in care service because he would be in a vegetative state. And so his survival and being able to come back, back to normality was an absolute miracle. Again, N of one. First in the history of medical diagnosis. He says, while I was in my coma, my brain hadn't been working improperly. He said, it hadn't been working at all. It wasn't functioning it was dead. The bacteria had consumed it. And they, they give other tests that they did. And again, I don't have time to share all this with you. But he, he studies it. Because he, he, he's a neurosurgeon himself. He's a guy who's operating on people who are in this. And he says it was just impossible. He said, the part of my brain that for years of medical school had taught me that was responsible for creating the world I lived in and moved in. And for taking the raw data that came through my senses and fashioning it into a meaningful universe. That part of my brain was down and out. What does the materialist perspective say? That he had embraced before this? The brain creates consciousness. And he says, can't be. Can't be. He says, that part of my brain was down and out. And yet despite all of this, I had been alive and aware, truly aware in a universe characterized above all by love, consciousness, and reality. So his conclusion in all of this. I was encountering the reality of a world of consciousness that existed completely free of the limitations of my physical brain. My experience showed me that the death of the body and the brain are not the end of human consciousness. That human experience continues beyond the grave. He said, everything I've been taught. Everything that I had gone to conferences and and taught other people, I taught students at Harvard Medical School, everything I had done and and based my scientific understanding of consciousness was proved to be wrong because my brain was gone. I had no consciousness, and yet I found myself in this this real world of amazing splendor. I guess the post Materialist perspective explains why NDEs are possible. Why? Because science is discovering that the brain does not create our consciousness; it comes from some external state. So, therefore, those who have died retain consciousness. They don't. Their brain does not die. Their consciousness does not go away. Thousands of NDEs strongly suggest there is life after. Life. Dr. Raymond Moody, who started it all in 1975, I watched an interview online with him, and I was amazed at it, by the way, because I read the book in 1975. I had no idea he wasn't a believer. But he himself, and I saw this interview, just a recent interview, says this. I'm not a religious person and never was. And he goes on to elaborate on that. He says, however, and this only really settled with me a few years ago, that after all my extensive research the most intellectually honest and straightforward thing is that there does seem to be life after death. He says, and that's astonishing to me. It took me a long time to come to terms with this. Why? Because he was a materialist. He believed, as the rest of the community, medical community did, that the brain was the creator of consciousness. And when the brain was done, when we were done, life was done. He says, after all this, he says, I only came to grips with this recently in my life. And as you can see, he's an elderly man now. The honest and intellectual conclusion that I have now come to embrace is that there is life after life. So it looks like medicine and science seem to be catching up now with what the Bible has said for thousands of years. What Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 1 through 3, he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5.1, now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house Where? Where? In heaven, not built by human hands. I love what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. He says, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. And he's not talking about snoring. He's talking about death. I don't want you to be ignorant about people who die. He said, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope, these atheists, and people who hold on to these other views of life. He goes on to say, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord, how long? Forever. Why? Because there is life after death. This isn't it. This is preparation time for everything that is yet to come. So next time, you have a, a doctor kind of looking at you and going, yeah, well, that's nice that you might think that. Next time, you're a student in a classroom with the professor, so there is no life after life. The brain creates its own consciousness. You know that there is an alternative explanation. There is an alternative perspective to all of that. But at the same time, does all this sensationalism Melded with what scripture teaches. As believers in Christ, although the scientific world and the medical world are interesting, we certainly see that even in that world, it can be documented that, yes, there is strong suggestion that there is life after life. The medical field and the science field, either side of that perspective, is not our guide, is not our final source of authority. The Bible is. And when we come across this stuff, we better be real careful Because Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 to 14, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen masquerading as apostles of Christ. He says, no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So so you got to be careful. Because Satan's world, the demonic world, is out there masquerading as these agents of light. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.9 says, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. As we get to the last days, that day when the trumpet call is going to happen and the dead in Christ arise, and we who are still alive will be caught up to be with him in the air, that day is going to be characterized by increasing delusion. The lawless one, Satan, the masquerader of, as an angel in light, will be able to create miracles and signs and wonders to confound humankind. So, out-of-body experience, encountering a mystical light, entering an imaginable world, altered sense of time and space, a life review, intense feelings of love and peace. Where are they coming from? Is that a window into life after life? Or is that part of the coming delusion by Satan of miracles, signs, and wonders? Does it add up with Scripture? How does Scripture compare to all of this stuff we're talking about? Do any of, or all of these, or any of these phenomena Stand up to the test of the Bible. Stand up to the test of Scripture. Is it something that Scripture gives us guidance in, gives us hope in? Because that's what we're looking for, right? So does it? See you next week. See you next week. Let's pray. Father, Father, we're not doing this because we don't believe there's life after. We, we do believe. We're here. We're your children. But God, you have called us to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have in you. And Lord, as we start looking at this, this question of life after life and trying to formulate what our response will be to a world who is passionately interested in that answer. To friends at our office and family members in, the, in our immediate and external family. The people we'll run across. The whole world is passionately interested in the, answering the question, is there life after this life? Books are being written. Movies are being produced. God, we have the answer. But we want to be careful that we don't use some sensational external event to base our answer as to whether there is life after life. Because we are not people of science. We are not people of medicine only. We are people of the Word. We want to know what you've said about it, what your Word says about it, where any of this links with what your Word has declared to us. God, help us as we continue this path. Help us, Lord, to be wise. Help us to be sensitive. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.